0: Okay, friends, the story begins. We are on the middle of page 72. We are continuing the song of the day, the Shir Shalyom. Every single day of the week, we have a new praise that we sing to God, that we recite to God. Um, paralleling or mimicking, if you will, the Levites in the Beit HaMikdash, in the temple, they would sing a new song every day to God as well. They would sing actually these paragraphs. So, last time we discussed the Sunday Song of the Day, and it's a meditation for what Sunday represents. And today we have a meditation for what Monday represents. The Song of the Day for Monday is a cut and paste from Psalms chapter 48. Let's first read the Psalm, just so we know what we're talking about, and we'll explore how it's relevant to Monday, and more importantly, how it's relevant to ourselves the meditation that it comes with, the life lesson that it comes with. You're with me? Okay, let's quickly read through the text. It's middle so, of 72. It's just a, a real quick question. Yeah, go for it. So, so you said like this particular one is relevant to Monday. Well, um, is is it that it's, uh, why not Tuesday? Why not Wednesday? I mean, are, are these specific, like, is it meant to be like, okay, the second day of the week? As, as, which whatever you want to call it, but the second day of the week—that's why it's relevant. That comes, exactly, that exactly. Monday. Monday happens to be the second day of the week. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The second day of the week, not not particularly Monday. Okay. okay. The second day of the week is a is a more accurate. In Hebrew, the the words Monday, Tuesday, they they, they don't exist. We say right. Yom Rishon, Yom Sheni. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for clarifying. This is the meditation relevant to the second day of the week. Relevant to the second day of creation. And we'll dive into that in a moment. Okay. A song, a psalm by the sons of Korah. The sons of Korah had repented and they did not uh, get killed. Some of his sons did not get killed. And they wrote uh, many uh, psalms. The Lord is great and exceedingly acclaimed in the city of God, his holy mountain. Beautiful in landscape. The joy of the whole earth is Mount Zion on the northern slopes, the city of the great king. In her citadels, God became known as a tower of strength. For behold, the kings assemble. They advanced in concert to invade her. They saw the wonders of the Almighty and were astounded. They were terror-stricken. They hasted to flee, trembling, seized them there. Pangs as of a woman in the throes of labor. They were crushed as by the east wind that shatters the ships of tarnish. Okay, this is a little cryptic, but we'll unpack what we need to know soon. As we have heard, so have we seen in the city of the Lord of hosts, in the city of our God. May God establish it for all eternity. God, we have been hoping for your kindness to be revealed within your sanctuary. As your name, O God, is great, so is your praise to the ends of the earth your right hand is filled with righteousness let mount zion rejoice let the towns of judah exalt because of your judgments walk around zion encircle her count her towers consider well her ramparts behold her lofty citadels that you may recount to a later generation for this god is our god forever and he will lead us eternally okay any idea what this is referring to this is referring to declaring Jerusalem as a sacred city and the mountain in which the Beit HaMikdash is on as a sacred mountain this is a sacred space not to get too political but this was uh, authored way before Islam was even a thought or a thought of a thought But uh, let the record stand. Jerusalem is a holy city. What does a holy city mean? What does holy mean? What does it mean that anything is holy? It means it's separate. It's It's separate, right? It's different. Yeah. Jerusalem is different than any other city. Um, Which, which, by the way, the, the notion of something being holy or sacred is... Not a very progressive idea, and it's not a very politically correct idea. That something can be different, or what makes you better than me? What makes this city better than that city? It's not a very politically correct idea at all. It's a very important idea. And it's very, well, first of all, let's take a step back. Why is this relevant to Monday? <laughs> what did God do on Monday? What did God do on day two of creation? God Day one of creation, God said, let there be light, created light and dark. Day two of creation, God split the, the waters above, split the waters below and made a difference, a separation between heaven and earth. The theme of day two of creation, separation. Separation is an important part of creation. It's embedded within the the fabric of creation. So that, that's interesting, uh, because then there's that separation, but then there's also the separation between the first six days and the seventh day. Right, 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 right. On, on a more um, macro level, right? On a, on a more micro level, there's that specific separation, the first separation. On a more macro level, <laughs> um, there was that separation as well. And we'll probably discuss that on Friday. Right, Yom Shishi. What uh, what that transition is like? Um, on a micro level, though, there's the, the separation within the worlds. Rashi points out in his commentary on the Torah that when God first created the world, He He didn't necessarily create in six days, but He more like arranged in six days. You had everything—a big mishkebable. And God organized it on day two, separated it. There's water that belongs in heavens, that's in the skies. There's water that belongs in earth, and they need to be separated in order for there to be a firmament, in order for there to be earth, in order for there to be real functionality, in order for the world to be functional. We have to recognize that there are differences, and if we fail to recognize that there are differences we are going to have a very dysfunctional world. Man, this is just too relevant. Um, It's the same with Israel. By the way, for some reason, the entire world recognizes that Israel is different. And all those who uh, appreciate Israel for what it is appreciates that it's different. All those who are anti-Semitic begrudge the fact that it's different. But everybody does recognize that it's different. And those who pretend to not recognize that it's different are just feeding into dysfunction. That's just what happens. So go back to the second, the first line of this prayer. A psalm, a song, sorry, a psalm by the sons of Korach, the Lord is great and exceedingly acclaimed in the city of God, His holy mountain. This mountain is holy, this mountain is different than all other mountains. Similar to they're deemed being a difference between heaven and earth. There's diversity within the realms of what's holy and what's not holy. And when we fail to recognize this diversity, and often in the name of diversity, um we're we're destroying the world, man. You know who the first to do this was, by the way? Ironic Korah. The father. Of the author of these psalms. Because Korach. Korach is Moses' cousin. and Korach led the entire revolt against Moses. Saying that he's eating up the leadership for himself. And his siblings. And that. Uh, why can't we all just be the same? Why can't we all just be equals? Why do we need an Aaron and a Moses and a Cohen and a Levi. And a hierarchy and regular taxpayers. What This isn't fair. So he leads this entire revolt. You know what Dave Ramsey says. Every family has crazy And if you don't think your family is crazy, then it's probably you. So Moses had this crazy cousin. (laughs) Moses has this cousin, Korach. And Korach leads this entire revolt saying that we're all equals. There's no such thing as holy. We're all holy. When, when, uh, When we have our summer camp, I train our counselors with the importance of teaching kids a good work ethic and how to how to be a good winner and how to be a good, for for lack of a better word, a good loser at games. It's important. Because it's very hard to win if you can't lose. And it's very hard to lose if you can't win. There has to be differences. There has to be, this is holy, this is not. This is weekday, this is Shabbos, this is mundane, this is sacred. There has to be. And if we fail to recognize that we are lying to ourselves, we are digging our own grave like Korach. That's just what we're doing. The sons of Korach who had repented recognized that there is differences, that the mountain is holy, that this place is different. Similar to there being a difference between the waters above versus the waters below. What is in heaven versus what is on earth. There's a difference. When God split these waters, higher waters, lower waters, so the Arizal points out, Rabbi Isaac Luria, who is a Kabbalist, famed Kabbalist, points out something interesting. What is water referring to? He says water is a euphemism for something. We actually quote this in chapter one of Tanya. Water is a euphemism. Anybody Torah. know? Torah. What? Torah. Okay, so water is often a euphemism for Torah. Um, but there's another euphemism that we use water for. A little less common, probably. Pleasure. Water is a euphemism for pleasure. So there's the four elements. Water, earth, wind, fire. Right. The earth is a euphemism for lethargy. The wind is a is a euphemism for emptiness. The fire is a euphemism for passion. Water is a euphemism for pleasure. And when God created the world, holy pleasure versus mundane pleasure, appropriate pleasure versus inappropriate pleasure, or pleasure that is centered around our mission and our purpose in life around God versus pleasure that is just self-serving was one big Babble was one big mixture. And on day two of creation, God said, if we want this world to be functional, we have to have clarity. Is pleasure a good thing or a bad thing? Yes. We have to create boundaries and parameters. We have to clarify that certain pleasures are good, certain pleasures are bad. Just like certain mountains are sacred, certain mountains are evil, Certain domains are holy. Certain domains, certain domains are mundane. There's diversity. Certain people are good and certain people are bad. I'm view. Like, we're all the same. It doesn't really matter. Certain pleasures reflect God and certain pleasures are going to hide God. And the higher waters that God designated for the heavens, that represents sacred pleasure holy pleasure, the pleasure that we have to engage spiritually, to help people, to experience love for our fellow or love for God. These are holy things. These are good things. These are important things. right? The Judaism can be very pleasurable and very enjoyable. Our relationship with God can be very pleasurable and enjoyable. And then there's other pleasures. Right? Everybody has their own imagination and their own yitzahara, their own, their own evil uh, inclination. They're low pleasures. And this prayer was a reminder. We have to separate. We got to separate the pleasures. We have to categorize them and we have to become aware. We have to ask ourselves, this pleasure I'm about to engage in, is it holy or is it not? Identify it. Okay, maybe I shouldn't be doing it. But am I even aware at least what it is? Am I calling it out for what it is? on every single day of creation. I'll tell you a quick story before we get there. Rabbi Yosef Yitzchak Schneerson, who was the father-in-law of the Lubavitcher Rebbe, was meeting with a chassid a named Reb Moshe Gerari. They were having a little bringing together. Saying l'chaim and sharing words of inspiration Rabbi Yosef Yitzchak Schneerson was a very perceptive person and in general Hasidim are perceptive because everything in life is supposed to be a lesson in our service to God like the Baal Shem Tov Tat but everything is there to teach us something God is giving us messages throughout life so he notices that Moshe Gerari had a cup of tea he only drank half the tea so he says jokingly, Reb Moshe, you've separated between the higher waters and the lower waters. There's water that had go- gone above. There's waters that had gone below. The tea that remains in the cup is the lower water, and it's envious of the water that you had drinking because you made a blessing, you've elevated it, you're drinking for holy purposes. The tea that remains in the cup feels like the lower water, and it's nervous. He says, conversely, the tea that you already drink, the higher water says, I know where I am now. (laughs) The lower waters, you know, grass is always greener on the other side. I know where you're going to go. We have the ability to approach everything in life and ask ourselves, why? Why am I doing this? Where is it getting me? (laughs) you know how you know if it's a holy pleasure by the way or if it's not is the focus the pleasure or is there a deeper purpose is the pleasure just the byproduct if I'm helping people or if I'm doing a mitzvah if I'm connecting to God so the pleasure is a byproduct but if the focus is the pleasure, maybe Freud was right. <laughs> maybe it's the problem. perhaps Again, Judaism's not anti-pleasure because pleasure is the the notion of pleasure is it's just a very deep part of you. it just has to be very clear to be very clear on every single day of creation after the creation god said let there be light and there was light and it was good every single day of creation afterwards god said and it was good with the exception of the second day of creation god didn't say it was good totally skipped it out but when it came to tuesday where it talks about seeing dry land. It says it was good twice. Make up. So we start off with clarifying what is holy pleasure, what is unholy pleasure. What is higher water, what is lower water. And is that good? It doesn't feel good. That's work, man. But when it comes to Tuesday and we see the fruits of our labor. When it comes to day three, we see the fruits of our labor. We see that there's dry land, there's revelation, something had been uncovered, there's something we didn't notice, there's more depth and purpose and meaning to reality beyond what our eyes were telling us about earlier. That's not just good, that's awesome, it's good twice. Good times too. You know who the first people word that had to actually distinguish between these two pleasures so on day two of creation there was no people yet right so this was just philosophy this is a theoretical idea that God embedded within reality when did it become real Adam and Eve God instructs them do not eat from the tree of knowledge and you know what they did they ate from the tree of knowledge (laughs) It was only like, by by the way, they only had to hold off until Shabbos. They were created on Friday. They were created three hours before Shabbos. They had to hold off for three hours. They couldn't do it. If they would have held off for three hours, it would have been Shabbos. They could have had their fruit and they would have been fine. They probably wouldn't have wanted it as much anyways, right? That's usually how these things work. For three hours, you had one job, refrain from a piece of fruit, I don't eat fruit. That's <laughs> Javi tries to get me to eat fruit. I won't do it. I know what happens. <laughs> We've gone through this before. But I'd like to point out something fascinating. What happened when they ate that piece of fruit? All hell broke loose. Right? They'd become self-aware. They immediately put on clothing. And just 10 generations later, God is already destroying the world because of the immorality that had developed from eating a piece of fruit. Why is eating a piece of fruit that bad? Well, I mean, look, let's look at it though not as a punishment. Or, or it's a consequence. They indulged, and this is what happened, right? But here's the interesting thing. The Torah doesn't tell us what type of fruit tree this was. Why? So Rashi points out that it's a fig tree, and we know that because what did they put on immediately after eating from that piece of fruit? They put on fig leaves. So they covered themselves up with what they sinned with, which we often do, right? We cover ourselves up with, with the the one causing us her, the problems. Rashi says the Torah doesn't want to tell us the fruit tree, that it was a fig tree, because what did the tree do wrong? Why defame an innocent tree? Which is a powerful lesson. The Torah doesn't want to defame an innocent tree, right? They don't defame innocent people. Other commentaries point out that the reason why it doesn't point the the Torah doesn't tell us which tree it was is because it wasn't any particular tree. It wasn't "don't eat from this particular fruit tree." It don't eat from the tree of knowledge. Any tree that is self indulgent, that is about your own knowledge, that is about yourself. It was an approach to the tree that they were to avoid not the tree itself. In other words, they had a responsibility to distinguish what is sacred pleasure, what is unsacred pleasure. Eat from all the trees, but not from the tree of knowledge. It's not a specific tree. It was an approach to a tree. If you're going to eat because you need to, good. If you're going to eat because it's about how you feel, not good. And that's what they ended up doing. That's how some commentaries approach this whole saga. Let's summarize over here. On day two of creation, weekly, on the weekly, every Monday, we recite this prayer. We recite this prayer exclaiming that there are certain places where you're going to experience God more. There's certain places where we're going to experience God less. That's called holiness. There's diversity. There's differences. And those differences are reflected in what happened day two of creation. Day two of creation, God split between the higher waters, lower waters. The lesson for us, the higher waters, the lower waters represent higher pleasure, spiritual pleasure, kosher pleasure versus lower waters, unholy pleasure, inappropriate pleasure that we're to avoid, that we're to refrain from. And when we have those differences between holy and unholy clear in our mind, this is a holy mountain and this is not, this is a temple and this is something else we have incredible, incredible revelation in our lives. Okay, that's my story and I'm sticking to it.